It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, it's Manu Vett. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, really relaxed uh, this weekend, Bryce. The international break means uh, sleeping in for me, getting things ready. And uh, as you know, I'm heading to Germany. But how have you been? Happy birthday, by the way. Ah, thank you. Yes, it was my birthday on Saturday. So, um, yeah, I turned the big three, too. Eh? But, um, yeah, it was good fun. I was back home in Northern Ireland um, with family and yeah, it was it was nice. Unfortunately, Northern couldn't get to the World Cup this weekend, but oh well. I th- I think they did fairly fairly well um, up against a, a tough uh, Swiss team, and oh, just couldn't get over the line. Oh well, but uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about some teams that will be at the World Cup uh, this evening. Uh, but joining uh, Manu and I, um, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Uh, Bryce, you've been very well, thanks. We can spend the summer just throwing empty plastic bottles at the television then because whales aren't there either. So, you know, we can just be an angry pair of um, observers. You can support <laughs> Germany. Just support Yeah. Germany. Well, we should. We hopefully will be in Russia anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. And you can always support Germany. And, yeah, it'd be nice for us to, um, well, to win a, a competition, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> It's a big statement, but it's, it looks like it could be fairly legit. Guys, let's uh, let's talk about the England-Germany game that uh, went on on Friday night. Uh, international football, uh, it, it can be sometimes hard to get yourself uh, motivated for, especially friendlies, especially a nil-nil friendly. But um, there's still plenty to talk about, isn't there? And um, I, I feel we'll, we'll probably go to Manu first on this. Um, Manu, um, did you enjoy the game? And uh, I have a feeling that you're going to probably say that this game is not as big a tie as what the English uh, normally label it as, because that's what you always do. Am I right? It, you know, it is a it is an important game, but I think the rivalry is bigger in England than it is in Germany, and that's because you know our biggest rivals always have been the Netherlands and Austria. Although I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with the Netherlands not being, you know, they weren't at the last tournament, they're not at this tournament, they're not a contender right now. And sometimes that hurts rivalries, right? So I'm curious to see what that will do in the long run. But yeah, I, traditionally, those two countries have been Germany's big rivals, especially the Netherlands. You know, that's the country that we make jokes about. That's the country that makes jokes about us and um, has always really hotly contested games. England, Germany... Yeah, that's it's 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 a classica, you know, as we call it. It's a big game, but it's 
You know, I would say it's at the same level than maybe Germany, France, Germany, Brazil, Germany, Argentina. It's big games because it's a big opponent, but not because it's a rivalry. And I think that's something that um, a lot of people don't understand. In England, I think, Chris, it's, it is considered a big rivalry. I mean, a lot of it is also historic because of the war and all that. Sadly, that still plays such a big role. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how it's almost um, a two-sided affair. Um, yeah, it is, it is. It's built up and it has been built up over here by the media for a long time. I think you're quite right why it's based on that. And I think England would like to think that Germany are one of their main rivals. But, you know, one World Cup versus four probably shows that they're not quite at that level. But I really thought that this game was, was very entertaining. Mm. I did think it was going to be a, a boring game to watch, to be honest, especially when I saw the lineups that maybe both sides, but especially England put out. But um, true to form, when youngsters are given a chance, sometimes they surprise everybody. And I thought England looked a lot better with what you would call, you know, a B-side yeah. in inverted commas out. I thought the players looked a lot more hungry. They looked a lot more committed. Um, and I thought the German side looked very good. I mean, it could have been 3-0 within the first 10, 15 minutes. But, you know, Jordan Pickford played in goal. I thought he played excellently, way better than what Joe Hart normally does. So, if you're looking at international football, I thought it was a really good first half. And, you know, both sides had chances where they thought they could probably go in at the break, um, either just just in the lead or or maybe level on goal scored, not just nil-nil. But it sort of dipped out towards the second half. But from the first half, yeah, I thought it was a really entertaining game of football from both sides. I thought the first half was excellent, Chris. It was really good. And I was really impressed by some of the... The English youngsters. Pickford was my man of the match. Um, in my, in my Fußballstadt report, I thought he was excellent. Um, it's, we love to make fun of English keepers in Germany. And I don't think they, if he, if he develops, he could, he could be the solution. Uh, you know, really could be the first good keeper you had since David Seaman, really. But, um, a bunch of other ones. I thought Tommy Abrahams from Swansea City. You've never really heard very much of him. I thought he was, he looked really good on the pitch. Um, really good talent. I, I think there would be a handful of teams that would really like to have a player like him. Um, Loftus Cheek was fantastic. Another really good player. Um, I have, you know, had on my radar in the past, but then he kind of fell off and didn't really follow his career that much. I think I thought he looked really good too. And then of course, on the German side, Leroy Sané and uh, Timo Werner were fantastic as well. Some, you know, there was real speed and um, urgency in that first half. And I really enjoyed that. The second half, I think they, they came out and said, uh, look, if we play this kind of tempo, we might pick up injuries and we all have big games coming up. It's December. You know, we talked about this before. There's 20 match days, individual match days coming up in December. So I could, I sort of sensed that both teams really didn't want to hurt each other in the second half. But that first half was fantastic. Manu, are you trying to say that these uh, young English players that you said really stood out, that, you know, one day they could um, really become, uh, well, top players and even get a move to top Bundesliga sides? Well, look, there there is something happening <laughs> in English youth football right now. They won the U17 um, World Cup. I believe they won the U19 European Championships as well, right? And... Um, that's, there is a sign there. There is something coming there. And the problem has always been that they don't get to play at the senior level. And I don't see that changing. The, the reason for, for why I don't see that changing is ownership. Foreign owners, they don't only care about profit maximization. That's, that's just the model it is. It's, it's kind of like it is in the US, you know, where everything is just based on getting the maximum profit out of your team. And youth football doesn't necessarily do that. And, 
that's that's sad. But I mean, we had the example of Jadon Sancho at Borussia Dortmund. You know, he's maybe the biggest talent that England have right now. And he plays at Borussia Dortmund. Why? Because he gets playing time there. So maybe that is a solution. I, I mean, Chris, Tammy Abraham, a striker like that, I can think of a handful of Bundesliga teams that would love to take him and play him day in and day out. I mean, yeah, that's what some of these guys will, you know, I don't know if they may have been told that. You, you never know, really, because I think we all know that uh, a young English talent's going. You can, I can think of Ryan Kemp from Liverpool, who's currently um, over with Freiburg. I know he's not English, but um, Divock Origi's over with Wolfsburg, but he's a youth player who can't seem to get a break in England. So he's looking at going other places. And, you know, these young footballers won't be daft, and they've probably seen some of the likes of uh, of Kent go over and, and other team, other players, sorry, have gone over, like you just mentioned, and are getting a chance in Germany. So it's probably within their remit to play as well as they did the other night. It'll be interesting to see um, what the response is um, for England when they play Brazil um, this coming week, because it's a more of a rotated side and a few more household names will be in it. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. But you know, even the German side that was out was... I mean, can we call it a B side? Because Germany have got about four sides they can put out that are all excellent. But you know, there was there was some there was some surprises in there. Um, you know, th- that played very well. Ozil always plays very well for Germany. Not so much for Arsenal. Um, it was good to see Gundogan back again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially being out for so long. I was really pleased to see Hasselberg get a chance um, yeah. from Leipzig. Uh, you know, Draxler was busy again. I thought Werner was excellent. Sane, you see him week in, week out. And for anyone that is in England listening to this and they watch the Premier League as well, so they'll know what a talent he is. Um, but, you know, Emre Chan came on. There's uh, there's just so many. Sandra Wagner came on. There's so many players that Germany have got to pick from that, you, I mean, we discussed this at the Confederations Cup, didn't we? we? You could maybe pick three different German sides. Each one of those sides could go on and, you know, get to the latter stages of the World Cup. So when you've got the ability to pick from three quality um first choice 11s to make some super 11, that's why I think Germany have got a real chance in Russia in the summer. It makes it really difficult to write previews on on Germany games right now. I, I picked on the starting 11 for this game and uh, I was very wrong. <laughs> and it's because Joachim Löw just rotates his side so much. But I, I looked at the starting 11 and I thought that's a, that's a really good side. You know, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this starting 11. There's, this is, there's a lot of very good talent in this starting 11. I, I necessarily wouldn't have picked it that way, but it's, yeah, it is, there's a lot, a lot of good players in Germany right now. And you almost wonder if that's going to be Löw's biggest problem going into Russia. In a sense, we counted it um, after the Comfort Cup. We we had 50 players on our radar, right? Now Halstenberg is on there too, so that makes it 51. And there will probably be 53, 55 players that he can choose from by the time Russia 2018 comes around. Whew, that's not easy. It's that's you know that's almost an such an abundance of talent that you could really see him struggling putting finding the right chemistry. And I think that's going to be almost as hard as task going into Russia. Well, Chris, um, talking about um, obviously there's possible 50 players being there, there are, you know, numerous options uh, for Lou. But um, t- talking about Sané, Werner, you know, Alexa Draxler or, or Halstenberg, uh, do you see any of these players being a regular, um, you know, in the starting 11 for the World Cup? I mean, all fantastic talents, but do you see any of them actually breaking through? 
Uh, Timo Werner, I think, has got an, an exceptional chance of, of being first choice um, you name attacker on the sheet come Russia because he's just playing so well for RB Leipzig at the moment. And um, I think it's only Pickford's excellent save. Otherwise, you know, he scores within the opening few seconds and he's just very, very switched on. He latched onto a poor back pass, but it's come so early in the game. Sometimes, you know, when you're watching football, commentators and pundits will say, oh, it's just come a little bit too early for him. Doesn't seem to have that with Timo Werner. He looks ready to go from the off. Um, and that's what you need when you're in a World Cup final. So I think he could... Um, I mean, for the other guys, Leroy Sané has been such a good player um, for Manchester City and he looked really dangerous the other night. So he's one who could maybe not start game in, game out, but he could certainly be making a case for Joachim Love to take him to Russia. And, and it's the same I'm, It's the same for the other guys. I mean, Hastenberg's been very, very good, um, but so has Plattenhart as well. There's, there's just so many players and I'm the thought that Manu is. So you don't know how hard it's going to be to, you know, narrow those 52, 53 players by the end of the season. He's going to cut them over in half. So he's going to take less than half um, to Russia with him. And then he's got to choose a starting 11. So that could be the Achilles heel for this German Mm. side. It's who he picks, who he partners with, who in midfield, in defence, does he get the right chemistry? Um, If he does get the right chemistry, could really see a, a very strong, maybe unstoppable German side. Oh, and you have to think about Mario Götze is now back in the side. Ilkay Gundogan is now back in the side. Marco Reus is coming back to the side in, in the spring. Manuel Neuer is going to be back in the side. Thomas Müller is coming back. It's, it's, I mean, that's all names that weren't part of this starting 11. And this is, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. It really is. But, you know, maybe just a final thought about England, Gareth Southgate. I think that they might be onto something here because we're talking about all these established players that England had left out. Do they really need them? I mean, except for Harry Kane, they all seem to be, I would all swap them all out. There's so many nice, good young players coming through. Maybe this is a good time for England to just say, okay, well, let's play the young stars, give them some time, give them some development time and play them. I think that's what Gareth Southgate's doing. And he, obviously he's come from the side below, which is a very German thing to do, isn't it? To um, promote from within. So he's seen some of these guys for a long time and he's almost building an identity, which England haven't had. So they've had under 17s, under 19s, under 20 players playing uh, the way that England are now playing. But when you get to the senior side, it's been a very old, either someone like Roy Hodgson or someone like Sam Allardyce will be it for one game. A very old school, old minded thinking translate from what you do as the youth onto the senior side. I think with Gareth Southgate, that's gone now. So he's building an identity. So those who play in 16s, 17s, 19s, 20s, when they get to the senior side, they know how to play and they'll play the same way. So I think it is um, a very good time for England fans and England players at the moment. It's just whether they can do what they do um, in tournaments, which is normally just fail at the at the mid-hurdle really and, and sometimes tend to go out under a bit of a cloud, normally under some penalties. So we'll see how they get on. But with these young players they've got, I think that brings um, an element of no fear. Youth players tend to have no fear because you know they're so young, they don't really think about the fear and the um, intrepidation of playing in such a big tournament. They just want to get on and win it. Um, and some of these age groups have done that in the past. Yeah, it's definitely exciting times ahead for both sides, uh, I think. 
uh, with aspirations to go rather deep into the competition. But um, Chris, one man that you mentioned um, was Emre Chan. Uh, let's talk about him a little bit. Uh, he's been in the news uh, more and more, well, increasingly, I suppose, um, about this uh, contract uh, renewal at Liverpool. It's, it seems like he's stalling on it and may now not sign at all. Uh, what exactly is going on there? there? There's always been talk about Juventus, but uh, is, there, is there more to the story than just uh, newspaper talk? I think so. I think we're starting to see that a little bit now. I'm going to say it's very unlikely Chan will stay at Liverpool. Um, I mean, where are we now? We're November uh, 17. It was, so it was around about last December, so December 16. We started to hear little rumblings in the background that he was potentially homesick, so he's missing being back in Germany. So whilst he was heavily linked with Juventus, it's no surprise to see that he's now being linked with Bayern Munich. Um, he's He's been playing well at Liverpool. Uh, anyone that's seen him, especially in the European competition or has watched the Premier League when he's played for Liverpool, will see, you know, Emery Chan's done well in that uh, midfield role. Uh, he's been normally operated in the mid three of um, Klopp's four three three, although that's changing slightly and he's played as a, um, as a double six in the last couple of games. And, you know, he seems to handle that uh, role well. Um, he seems to play better for Liverpool when he's not with Jordan Henderson. So uh, it looks like Henderson's a captain. So if either one of them was to go, it may be Chan. So I don't think personally that Emery Chan may go to Juventus. It seems to have quieted down a little bit. And, and maybe his best opportunity would be to go back to Germany. And, and why not Bryson Manu? Because you know he is trying to stake a claim for that German midfield. So I don't think there's any better place to play really um, than your home country if you're trying to nail that position down in your national side, unless you're someone like Tony Cruz who's playing for Real Madrid or you're playing a Barcelona like Tostegen, you know, one of the really, really big, big clubs. So um, unfortunately, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan, but at the moment, as it stands in England, Liverpool aren't one of the super clubs. You, you're going to be looking at Manchester United, Manchester City and Chelsea. They're the top three at the moment and, and the big four well you can take that final slot from anyone of Liverpool, Tottenham, Arsenal etc so if Emery Chan has any real ambition of playing for the German national side and being one of the first names out it may be that he goes to someone like Bayern Munich because he will get the game time there and you know he will stand out as, as a good player in a good league um, so yeah, will he stay at Liverpool? Probably not for me, Bryce. I don't think, unfortunately, as a Liverpool fan, I'd love him to stay. But I think it could be time that he himself wants to go back home. Yeah, as a, another Liverpool fan speaking, I couldn't agree more. I would like him to stay, but it's looking unlikely, isn't it? Um, Matty, Chris uh, mentioned, and uh, we're hearing uh, rumours as well of it happening, if uh, Chan possibly going to Bayern Munich. Again, is this just... Uh, you know, just filling the spaces uh, in, mm. in the columns, or or is there more to it? I mean, there, there's even talk of Vidal possibly moving on. I mean, mm. but what what's the story there? Yeah, Vidal moving on is the, I think where the story originally comes from, and that's that seems likely at this point. Uh, Vidal, I, I personally am actually a big Vidal fan, but the Vidal has not always lived the most professional lifestyle, and it's showing unfortunately a little bit his timing is a little bit late and um at Bayern you know Bayern always demands the very top top shelf best players you know they're the category they see themselves in the same category as Barcelona and Real Madrid everything below that is um not Bayern like and uh that's that's really um 
the way they're shopping. So I know that they're scouting for midfielders. There's a bunch of names that are getting floated around. I mean, Leon Goretzka is, is one, for example. Uh, Emre Shan is now, uh, is now one of those names. And I, I'm 100% certain Bayern are looking at him. You know, he's a national team player who's going to be on a free, possibly be available on a free transfer by the end of the season. And, it's hard to look beyond that. You know, it would be a stupid business decision by Bayern not to go for that. Um, now, when I was in Russia, the talk in the Germany camp was Juventus. And that's um, because of his close connection to Sami Khedira. He's apparently talked to Sami Khedira about life in Italy and in Turin. And um, Juventus seemed to be a very logical choice. Now, um, Look, there's always many different options. The one thing that kind of made me um, think about this whole thing, and that kind of confirms confirms at the same time that Bayern are actually looking at him seriously, is your Pinkus statements at the press conference this week, where he said that when when Emre Can was playing for him at Bayern um, the last time around, he had to send Emre Can to header practice and shooting practice because that was a f- two fundamentals that he lacked. And then he went on and said, um, trying to translate here on the fly that Bayern Munich are the very top of the world and only very top players, uh, should be in consideration for Bayern to be signed. And I wonder if Emre Can belongs to this kind of category quote. And so that makes me kind of think, well, obviously they're discussing him. They're discussing his name. Obviously there's also some doubts about him by Heinkes uh, primarily. Uh, Heinkes also admitted that, of course, he hasn't um, coached him in a while. So there's that. But I think, personally, I think it's a transfer that the Bayern will definitely consider simply because he's a German national team player. He's without a contract. But um, I think he's on a long list of names that a Bayern are looking at to to bring in um, to possibly replace Vidal. And there's a good market for Vidal right now. There's talk that he could go for 40, 50 million euros, which would be a lot of money for someone who is almost 31. So I guess that's really where we're at right now. Um, and that's really the question maybe, Chris. Would Emerson fit there? I mean, I've heard talk about uh, Manchester City. I cannot see Emre Can play for Pep Guardiola. I do not see that as a fit. And it, I guess it really depends on who Bayern bring in as the next coach. Yeah, I can't see him moving on to uh, Manchester City either. I don't think he fits, like you just said, like Guardiola's style of play. He certainly wouldn't have fitted uh, you know, Guardiola's Bayern Munich, which is why with um, Heinkes being there and the way Bayern are playing at the moment, he may be a better fit there. It's just, if he's not going to be a starting player, is would um, Chan be happy with that? Would he be happy to, in essence, play the same sort of role he is at Liverpool? He's not guaranteed um, that midfield slot. It's not made his own. He's, you know, he's one of two or three at the moment. It's either um, Henderson and Chan or Henderson and Wijnaldum. So he's fighting Georgina Wijnaldum for that slot. Will he have to fight someone else at Bayern Munich? Would he be happy at that? Or would he be happy going to Juventus and maybe getting in straight away and being one of the first names on the team sheet week in, week out? So um, it's a strange one because we're still, we're still, you know, midway through the end of his contract and he's not given assurances to anyone where he's going. And 
just the longer it goes on and if it's not signed by the end of December, I definitely don't think he'll be um, staying at Liverpool. And then, and then where does he go? Um, I think it's key that he makes the right move related to the German national side because he needs to be playing week in, week out. Yeah, I actually almost think maybe the best for him would be to stay. But um, I don't know if that's what he wants. Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price. So you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, let's hope that some type of miracle does happen, Chris, eh? and that he does stay. But, yeah, looking rather unlikely, if we're being honest. Um, guys, let's talk about Julian Draxler uh, for a little bit. Um, obviously, Bayern are coming in and being linked with several young German players um, at the moment as they've got a, a bit of a, well, a few aging positions. Could we possibly see him making a return to the Bundesliga at any point, Manu? He said today that... Um that he doesn't want to leave PSG. Now, the report, of course, emerged, I guess it was on Friday, that PSG have to make money this transfer window somewhere in the region of 80 million euros because of financial fair play, because PSG are potentially in huge financial fair play trouble because UEFA has um, deemed that the Mbappe transfer, even though they're not paying for him till next year, will go into this financial year which of course means that they in a sense paid 400 million euros for two players. And that doesn't even include all the other transfers. And there is no way that PSG um, can justify that to UEFA without having money come in. So Julian Draxler is of course someone who um, with his talent alone would attract a whole bunch of suitors. And Bayern, uh, there is definitely an, an, a big interest there because I think Truxa could step in and right away take on the role of either um, Robin and Ribery. And one of those two um, will see the axe next year, right? Robin or Ribery, one of those two. And it's probably likely, unfortunately, going to be Ribery as much as I love him. One of the biggest legends maybe in Bundesliga football when we look back at him. But yeah, Truxa could step in and take that role right away. He's quick. He's dynamic. He's... He has that little bit extra when he wants to. He's a, potentially a starter at the World Cup squad next year. And Bayern can afford to sign him. And Bayern know that PSG needs to make money. So they can say, like, look, here's 50, 60 million euros and we'll take him off your hands. And uh, so I could see this happening. It, it guess it depends on what Julian Draxler wants. Well, what actually happens to PSG if 
if they don't make the money? Are they out of European competition next year? Well, the word is that UEFA will come hard down on them because they want to set an example. And that could technically or maybe mean um, no Champions League football. Chris, they have already a strike out, right? Because they were they got that settlement deal. And um, the apparently if you get the settlement deal, the next strike is um, a suspension. Yeah, and I think they would have to do this this time with them because otherwise, you know, where do you draw the line? Um, we all know that they try to circumvent the rules on this. And I think it's it's time that UEFA either closes those loopholes that they're looking to do or just or hits them hard. Because at the moment, it seems that unless you're one of the European minnows, you're not really going to get hit. I mean, you know, just off the top of my head, I can think about they've hit, um, they've given Malaga a bit of a punishment. But then, you know, Barcelona have seemed to get away with a few. So what UEFA don't want to do is give the impression that if you're one of the super clubs uh, in European football, really, this doesn't apply to you. And they need to, to crack down on that as soon as they can. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that if um, PSG can't balance their books as such, then they may get a disqualification from the Champions League um, for one or maybe even two seasons. And then you will have a lot of players at PSG who will not be very happy because they won't be playing in Europe's premier competition and then may look to leave the club. So it's in their best interests maybe to clear the decks with a few players who aren't um, going to be playing week in, week out or who they can offload quickly for, you know, relatively large sums of money. And I think Julian Draxler would, would be one of those people most definitely. He'd be a good signing for Bayern. Definitely be a good signing. He's, he said today the Bundesliga is always interesting. I mean, I, I can think of another team that could use someone like him, but uh, don't want to open that can of worms. <laughs> okay, well, then we'll swiftly move on to the next uh, subject, but we're going to stick with uh, Bayern, actually, and talk about uh, Matt Hummels. Um, he spoke about his, uh, well, the, well, the future of the national side. And Manny, what's, what's happened here? What's uh, Hummels been uh, talking to the media about? Yeah, he's um, interesting statements today about the coaches, the future Bayern coach. I mean, this is a topic that will stick with us, I guess, till the end of the season. A lot of people are really happy with your Heinkes, rightfully so. I mean, we were astonished how quick Heinkes turned the boat around for Bayern. Um, but the reality is that Heinkes is going to leave. Now, that means um, they will have to sign a new coach. Of course, in July and, um, Hummels has been apparently very outspoken about this. And, uh, we, he made some interesting comments about Thomas Tuchel. He says, uh, why my opinion about Thomas Tuchel is, uh, they, everyone knows my opinion about Thomas Tuchel. And I guess Chris, we know that they didn't have the best relationship at Borussia Dortmund. It was sort of an acceptance of each other, I guess. And he also said a few thing about th few things about Julian Nagelsmann. He was unsure whether Julian Nagelsmann was old enough to take the Bayern job because Julian Nagelsmann is actually younger than uh, Mats Hummels. And he said he finds it difficult to, to imagine a coach younger than him coaching him. So there's that. And um, I I think the other thing that he said, and that's this I find interesting, it's Nagelsmann is a perfect tactical coach, but you see with you with your Pankis that sometimes simple is more. Um, just to come in and just play straightforward and have these old coaching methods and that they sometimes are better. And um, that's an interesting statement 
The other thing that he said was that um, Carlo Ancelotti was misunderstood. And I kind of believe that because Carlo Ancelotti is, I believe, is a good tactician. But I think he stumbled over the, the language barrier a little bit, which is understandable. But um, Thomas Tuchel is the main candidate. And Chris, those Hummels and Tuchel, uh, they're not never going to become friends, eh? No, I don't think they are. And it comes to a point where Bayern have to speak to some of their senior players and, and remind them, you know, who's who in the pecking order. Um, you know, guys that kick the ball around. But at the end of the day, they are the guys that kick the ball around. They're employed by Bayern Munich, who um, will go out and employ whichever head coach they think is best for the club. And they will work together, you know, as a trio or as a foursome, as a management um, committee to to get things done. And it'll be whoever they choose, if it's Nagelsmann or Tuchel, they will give their um, all and they will be entrusted to do the business on the pitch and, you know, players will just have to buy into it. I think for Matt Hummels to say, he's, you know, he's unsure whether he could work under Union Nagelsmann because, you know, he's younger than him. And sometimes age is irrelevant, really, if, you, if you're good enough. Um, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to get the job and he just have to accept that. Although I do sort of get where he's coming from and we've said it many a time before, if Nagelsmann goes and you know, he has a stinker because he's not 100% developed yet um, as a coach. He won't be able to do that development at Bayern Munich. He'll be expected to win week in, week out and to get you know the club to the latter stages of the Champions League. If he doesn't do that and he has a horrendous 6, 8, 12 months and gets sacked, he's only like, you know, early 30s. So he's pretty much written off the ability to go back to Bayern Munich for the next 15 to 20 years if he gets sacked short spell and that's probably something that he wouldn't want to happen so he needs to be able to go there at the right time which is why I think no matter how good Julian Nagelsmann is and we all know how good he is I think it might just be a little bit too early for him so you're quite right that in essence leaves Thomas Tuchel as the only candidate um, and whether him and Hummels don't get on they either have to bury that hatchet or you know agree to disagree but it's looking more and more likely that maybe Hummels will have to work with someone who he's not 100% keen on working with. But as a player, you know, you get paid your weekly wage and, and you do as you're told. Yeah, or he just goes back to Dortmund. I think we would all love to see that anyways. <laughs> yeah, um, at the minute, that's exactly what they need. They need Matt Hummels at the back. Yeah. yeah guys, the, we, we keep talking about these names, um, as in like Nagelsmann uh, and Tuchel. I mean, I mean, is there any other names that could possibly be thrown in? To the mix, like what about Conte? You have there's talk of him leaving Chelsea in the summer. You know, Allegri, Juventus. I mean, mm-hmm. there are other other managers out there, right? Next coach has to be German speaking. That's and the bottom line. I, I will. Uh, I think yeah, that has to be. They've had a they've had a wobble with um, a non-German speaking coach, and we all know how good Ancelotti is. And look, we all know how good Conte is. Um, but if he can't speak fluent German, how's he going to get his um, his tactics and his policies across? So if Ancelotti may be misunderstood, um, you know, Conte may be the same thing. And then maybe Bayern are looking at he would, whoever the replacement is, would only be in for a season and a half. And you, that starts to add up. And all of a sudden in six seasons, you've had four, maybe four and a half managers. And, and that's not good for any club, especially a club as big as Bayern Munich. Yeah. That you basically limit yourself to, you know, the two coaches that are possibly available. Well, the one that is really the only one that is available right away is Thomas Tuchel. 
And then you have the candidates at other clubs, right? Um, Yafula Nagelsambu was uh, talked about a lot, although I really don't think it's going to happen this summer. Um, then you have Joachim Löw, right? The national team coach. If he wins the World Cup this summer, maybe. Although he has said he wants to win the European Championship with the national team too. And he seems very comfortable on the national team role. So maybe, maybe and maybe, um, Jurgen Klopp, that's another candidate. You know, we don't know what's happening with Liverpool. Although I can't really see that either. He just got, um, maybe Cater for next summer and um, snapped him away from Bayern. So I can't really see that. That doesn't leave you with too many candidates. I think one other guy that we have to talk about is Ralf Hasenhüttl, Leipzig's head coach, uh, who's tactically a fantastic coach. Uh, he's Austrian, of course, but as we know, fluent German speaker. And he is maybe someone that is not talked about a lot, but I could see him being on that Bayern Munich radar as well. Well, we'll just have to see, just like with the transfers that we mentioned, Sam, who will come in there. It's going to be an interesting next few months but speaking of coaches uh let's talk about Werder Bremen they've decided to keep their interim manager and make him a full-time coach there in Florian Kohfeldt I hope I got that right uh, but yeah he, he's only been in charge one game unfortunately he lost that game didn't he to Eintracht Frankfurt but um yeah they must be fairly confident of, of what he can uh of, of his abilities and where he can take the club Manu yeah, apparently, although um, sporting director Frank Baumann said today, quote, we would have had better options. Ouch. <laughs> uh, that's not. A well, why would you say that when, when you've just said the guy's going to take over? Uh, and uh, this is not lost in translation. This is the, that, that's the best way to translate what he said. Uh, I guess the German durchaus bessere Möglichkeiten gegeben. You cannot translate this any other way. There is only one way to translate that. And that is. Uh, not a good start, I would say, for Florian Kohfeldt. I've been critical about Werder. And the, the big criticism I have about Werder is that they have not managed to renew um, the, the club. They haven't, they haven't been able to bring in anyone from the outside and just turn everything around. I think there is a strength in having players um, go and take on senior positions afterwards and sort of create a core and a tradition and a history. But there has to be always kind of like um, outsiders coming into buying a good example of how to do it. Dortmund do it really well too, that you have a core that decides it has a long time and a long history at the club, but at the same time you bring in fresh blood from the outside, someone like Tuchel who reformed Dortmund to a certain extent. Yes, it didn't quite work out in the end, but they still brought in new cultural outside thinking. Peter Bosch, same example. At Bayern, you know, they brought in Pep Guardiola to bring in a new culture. Before that, Jürgen Klinsmann, yes, it didn't work out, but it's still a good idea. And Werder Bremen have really not done that. They always seem to recruit from within. And that is something that is maybe a mistake. And uh, Kofeld, of course, he was part of the uh, Skripnik coaching team. Um, when Skripnik was fired, he went back down into the youth structure. So there is no renewal here. And I think that's what I would have liked to see. Uh, Bruno Labbadia was, of course, someone mentioned, um, could have come in, but Labbadia is a former Werder Bremen player too. And I think, I think you need that impetus from outside, just that new thought patterns, something to break open old structures and just give renewal. And they didn't, they didn't do that with this. And I cannot see this working out. 
Manu, was it was there anyone in particular that you had in mind that you think would have been good to come in and maybe you know really rejig the side? I mean, looking at you know the Bundesliga table, I mean, them and and most certainly Cologne, they could really do with that rejig at the moment just to to give them a boost to to move on up you know, and kick on really. I I heard Hütter from Young Boys Bern, um, Swiss Swiss coach was doing fantastic work in Switzerland. Big fan of Swiss football. I think there's a lot of good coaches coming out of there. Um, Lucien Favre was another one named, but he didn't want to leave. Adi Hütter then extended his contract in, at Ibar Bern. And, um, that's really difficult. You know, we talked, we sometimes talk off channel about teams like Everton, Werder and all that. And Chris, it's really hard if you're down there stuck in the bottom of the table to find that coach who can do this. It is because you know coaches who may be able to help you maybe a little unwilling to come in. I mean, if we look at where Vader Bremen are now, they're, or Werder Bremen even, it's maybe on club up there. If we look at Werder Bremen now, they're you know, 11 matches in and they're sitting on five points. Um, they're five points from what you would call an in inverted commas safety, which is 15th place. So you know, that's not even safe then. You probably look, they need... They need to make up 10 points to be what you would call relatively safe at the moment. And, you know, I, I don't know many managers in Europe who could come in mm. um, and lift a team by 10 places, uh, sorry, by 10 points pretty much straight away, which is what they need. So they'd have to, realistically, if they want to get themselves out of trouble, they would have to bring in a world-class manager who's not going to be attracted to Werder Bremen, unfortunately, for them. So maybe recruiting from within is is all they thought they could do at the moment. Um, but it's a hard task, isn't it? And he's, you know, That's not the best of, of starts for your sporting director to say that about you. Mm. Um, my only concern is we saw this a couple of times last season with a couple of different clubs who brought in interim managers and then they were given their full-time position after one or two games. And you know that club then went on to have three managers in a season, which isn't good for anyone. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden you like Wolfsburg and you're playing in the relegation playoff at the end of the season. So it's a difficult choice. Who do we bring in if you're Werder Bremen? And maybe they've picked the only candidate who they can think of. Um, but unless he gets a, a good a good second half of November um, and a really good December, including the English week in that, you know, he, he could be looking at a really bad time um, in, in January, if he even makes it that far, that's my only concern I have when a team does this. It's almost like we've got no other option. We have to do this. And if you're forced down a dark corner early on, um, I don't think there's much light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, I think they should have gone with a different coach last summer. You know, that would, have, of uh, course, it was difficult to justify then, but I think that's what they should have done. Uh, Manu, just a very quick one before we move on. Um, I, I suppose. Um, if you look at the uh, Premier League, which uh, Chris and I have obviously grown up with in English football, you, there's certain managers get a reputation for being called in to get teams out of these positions mm. and make them survive. You know, like you, you may say like you know Sam Allardyce or maybe Tony Pulis or what. Have the Bundesliga got such coaches like that that get called in to do these jobs and seem to be able to keep teams up? Yeah, it is. Felix Magath was famous for that, right? Feuerwehrmann, we called him. Firefighters. Um, Puno Labadia has that reputation, but he doesn't want to do it anymore. So he took himself off the board pretty quick. And, um, there used to be a big tradition of that. You know, um, Neuer, for example, a coach who I'm not a big fan of, um, had a big reputation of that. But 
yeah, I think nowadays Bundesliga teams think so long term that the the firefighter is a dying species. Yeah, I must say it's it's not exactly an easy job or a job that most people would uh, find appealing. But let's move on to uh, Borussia Dortmund now. Let's get away from all of that. Uh, news come out this week that uh, they tried to offload Pierre Emerick uh, Aubameyang instead of uh, Dembele in the summer to Barcelona. Uh, Chris, um, this isn't so much of a surprise, really, is it? Um, I, I mean, we kind of mentioned that. It probably would have been best for Dembele to stay on and stay on for a bit longer at uh, Dortmund. And we were a little bit surprised that he went as quick as he did. Um, so, so, so this is less surprising, isn't it? It is because even you know how good um, Aubameyang is and how many goals he scored last season, and you know how many he's um, started with already. Um, even though he's not particularly having the best of starts, as in goal wise, he probably should have had double of what he's got now. We've all known that. I think he himself. Um, would like to move on at some point. Um, and maybe Barcelona would have been a good move for him personally. Um, I don't know if it would have been particularly a good move for Barcelona, which is probably why they backed out of it um, or didn't entertain it and just wanted Dembele because they, they're in a transitional period themselves. But yeah, I mean, I mean, would it have worked out as it happened that Bailey pulled his hamstring? He's only just coming back into training now for um, Barcelona, so they would have been without him potentially and without Aubameyang. Um, I don't know if the forward line is the problem at the moment, though. Although they're not scoring, they're also leaking quite a few. So maybe they should start by shoring up the defence a little bit and maybe seeing a couple of games out 1-0, or if they're going to draw, at least make it 0-0. Let's keep those clean sheets coming in. Um, I would say it may have been potentially better. Uh, We'll have to see how how well Dembele comes back from this hamstring trouble. Um, Unfortunately, it's the sort of injury that can cripple a player. I mean, if you only think back um, English-wise, Michael Owen had a, a hamstring pull, was never the same again really after that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Dembele comes back. Um, but yeah, it's no surprise to me that this news has come out um, that if Dortmund wanted to offload one of them, it would have been Aubameyang they offloaded slightly older and tried to keep older Dembele, who, you know, we all saw what he was like last season. Um, I don't use this phrase often, but he has literally got the world at his feet, I think. Yeah. Manu, we, we, we spoke about, um, obviously, the front line maybe not being that big an issue for Dortmund compared to the back line these days. Uh, and Toprak um, hasn't played great, though the, uh, you know, the Bundesliga.com seem to be suggesting that, that he has. I mean, uh, what what exactly is going on there? This, this, mm-hmm. The stats aren't adding up, really, are they? Or they're, or they're being, I don't know, the wall's being pulled over our eyes, maybe. A small sample size, I would say. I think when, when they did a video on, based on tackling percentage one, right? But the problem with it is that, of course, he doesn't often go into those tackles or he doesn't aggressively challenge um, attacking players enough. So his tackling percentage might be high, but it's based on a small sample size. And I mean, Chris, how often have you watched Dortmund games this season where we said like, oh, look, there's Toprak um, escorting attackers into the penalty zone rather than challenging them. And I think that is really the big problem. It's not his percentage of winning um, tackles. It's the, the, the lack of him going into tackles, the lack of challenges that he plays. And I think that Dortmund 
lack an aggressive defender right now. Someone like Mats Hummels, you know, someone who can not only just play the ball out back, but there was three or four occasions at the national team game where Mats Hummels was just outstanding going into tackles and winning them cleanly. And that's exactly what they're missing right now. And that's the kind of player that they need to bring in. Would you back that, Chris? Would you say that that's the, the kind of player that's needed at Dortmund to uh, really shore up that back line? Um, yeah, I mean, I added down as culpable for all three goals in the game against Bayern Munich um, you know, last uh, match day. So, yeah, I mean, look at the space he gave um, He gave Robin. <laughs> you don't let him get the ball on the left foot. It sounds like a broken record, but it was the top rack who, who stood back for, um, for the second goal. You know, it was similar, um, just poor marking. I'm not I'm not going to say he's horrendous because he's not. And we have to remember Thomas Tuchel desperately wanted him. And the reason he didn't get him and um, De Hood was, you know, a sour in that relationship, which eventually, you know, ended with Thomas Tuchel leaving. So there's no doubt he's a good player and he's wanted. And we saw him play very well at um, Leverkusen at times last season. I just don't think he's settled, which is very unfortunate for him because he's come into a Dortmund side in transition. The last thing that they needed was an unsettled defender. So once he gets his... Um, he gets his head around being at Dortmund and once he settles, I think he will be a good defender. It's just at the moment they need someone like Manu's just said, like Mats Hummels, who will deny that space and will attack it very aggressively and cleanly and win the ball. Well, we're going to have to see if in January or in the summer they can bring in a player to, to do that, maybe sure up the back. Yeah. Certainly uh, pressure on Bosk going into the match games again this weekend. But... Let's talk about Bundesliga 2. We're going to drop down there and talk about one of the giants that are really struggling at the moment in Kaiserslautern. Manu, what exactly has happened to this side? I mean, a fantastic history, um, a really big side over the years, uh, but rooted to the the bottom of the table and things don't look good. It looks like at the moment that they could go down further. Um, What's going on? Oh, yeah, this is is a sore story that makes me kind of sad. Kaiserslautern has always been one of those real historic teams. I guess a good comparison to, to the United Kingdom would be maybe Newcastle. Um, you know, it's Kaiserslautern is not a huge city, but it's a very, it's a, it's a city that's, that's well known around the country because of his club. You know, they, for a long time, they were the smallest Bundesliga city. The population is only just around 100,000. And they, they always were able to stay in that league. And, um, the core group of its players, you know, Fritz Walters and Ottmar Walter, of course, and yeah, Horst Eckel and et cetera. They were the core group of the players that won the World Cup in 1954. And, and then they were a founding member of the Bundesliga and didn't get relegated until 1996 for the first time in history. And of course, then came straight back and won the title the following year and you know, the only side in Bundesliga history to get promoted and win the, the Bundesliga Bundesliga next year. So there's some fantastic history there. And uh, the Betzenberg, the stadium on Betzenberg is a hill inside Kaiserslautern. And this, the stadium is located on it. Um, for a long time, it was a really, really difficult place to play. I mean, Bayern Munich would go there. And even though Kaiserslautern, for most of its history, was kind of like a mid-table team that would play in the UEFA Cup at times, they would go there and loose you know because it was just a fiery place they called the red devils in germany you would see the the red devil standing on top of the of the stands and they would have smoke and fire and it's like it's it, it was the they would say the betze brand the betze is on fire right and um all of that kind of changed in the early 2000s you know after they 
came back into the Bundesliga. They won the title. They started spending a lot of money that they didn't have. And then they expanded the stadium to for the World Cup uh, to 49,000 seats. And that may have been a bit too much. You know, you remember the city of Kaiserslautern is small. It's a very poor region in Germany too. The German um, Southwest, the, the Rheinland-Palatinat is um, economically very weak. And the one of the main income incomes in that area is actually the military base, the U.S. military base in Rammstein. There isn't really much else there. And uh, so the club doesn't have the ability to attract corporate sponsors the same way that Dortmund do or Bayern do um, because of the small size. So they had to always be a bit creative. But the fact that they have now this expensive stadium and they're paying 2.6 million euros a year in um in rent, which is a lot if you play in Bundesliga too, you know, so, and money that they don't have. So it's a bit of a, if a sad story. And now, you know, they were close to getting back into the Bundesliga the last three or four years and uh, have spent money that they didn't have. And now there's, um, they, um, they're really financially struggling at the moment and they can't pay the rent to the stadium. So there was even talk that the stadium would get torn down and, a new stadium built that's smaller or um, maybe no stadium at all and the club disappears. So it's a bit of a sad story. Uh, unfortunately, there's an hour report that an investor is coming in to save the club. A West Western European company is going to come in and um, wants to build, take the land around the stadium and build, uh, build up to some property. But you know, Chris, investors can be a good thing, but there's always a danger as well. Yeah, there is. And there's always a danger that the investor has one eye on what can they gain from taking over Kaiserslautern, not what can they give to Kaiserslautern. So we've seen lots of teams, especially here over in England, who've been taken over um, by scoopless investors. And then all of a sudden, you know, their their household names in the top division for a long time. And you know, all of a sudden they're either relegated um down to the championship or below on financial regularity. And then next thing they're in the um, second division and then they're into the um, amateur stages and then they go bust and it, you know, it's awful. Um, I mean, it is sad. The Kaiserslautern are a side that you're very familiar to me, grew up with a, a good German name. You know, they're almost as big a name as Borussia Mönchengladbach for when I was growing up and, you're looking at a side that played Champions League football in the you know, latter part, last few years, of the 20th century, you know, UEFA Cup um, football as well. So, you know, it is a real shame that you can end up with a, a once good team or once great team, you know, uh, winning the uh, winning the main Bundesliga, winning the Super Cup, winning the Pokal. You know, they've won all the main trophies to win in Germany to just to be end up to be relegated and, you know, maybe fall down even further. I mean, God forbid something happens where they fall down a division and they don't get registered a little like what we saw with 1860 last season. And then all of a sudden they're in the fourth tier or, you know, you don't get out of that. It's it's hard, isn't it? So it would be a real shame to see them go down. So I'm hoping for the second half of the season they can pull some sort of um, miracle and, and avoid the drop, similar to what we saw St. Pauli do last year. Yeah, and maybe getting, get an investor means more. Similar to what we've seen in Stuttgart, right? Stuttgart's investor deal is very good. Oh, Dortmund and Bayern have investors. Um, the 50 plus one rule, use that and get a minority um, owner in there that can sort of clean up because Kaiserslautern as a club has made a lot of financial mistakes in the last few years. So um, I would hate see them disappear. 
I always loved Kaiserslautern. I loved those battles that they had in the 90s, especially with Bayern. And um, I really have my fingers crossed that everything works out all right with that club, simply because, you know, there's a lot of, nostal- lot of nostalgia for me. Yeah, well, I think that makes three of us who would like to see things go the right way for Kaiserslautern the rest of the season. But guys, let's talk a little bit about the game on Tuesday night when Germany shall be taking on France in Cologne. Um a quick preview on the game. Uh, well, I suppose a little bit like as you said, uh, Manu, it's going to be hard to predict that lineup, uh, who's going to play and feature in that game. But all I know is that this will be another good test. Um, I'm sure that Lowe will take it very seriously. And the French, the French have got a fantastic team as well. They've got a lot of really fantastic young players in there, including the likes of Mbappe, Coleman. Um, I, I could go on and on, but. Um, yeah, it's going to be another interesting game, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a great game. Um, I think it's going to be a game, lots, lots of fun to watch because, you know, we have these two young sides, as you mentioned, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how experimental it will be by both coaches. Yeah, exactly. And France coming off the back of a win over Wales. I'm sure they'll be looking to uh, test themselves against what we've all said, potential uh, world champions. Um Guys, um, I feel at this point uh, we should probably um, mention uh, what's going on next week. I might um, allow you to do this, Chris. Who have we got coming on the podcast next week? Uh, Well, we have a very special guest coming on next week. Uh, We've got um, Raphael Honigstein. Um, So (laughs) I'm uh, exceptionally um, excited about this. Uh, Not because, firstly, I've got a preview copy of his new book which you very kindly sent to us um so i you know i'm needy reading that at the moment but we've got a uh, we've got a very special podcast we haven't done a special for a while manu have mm. we but we've got a we've got a klopp special um so we're going to talk about jürgen klopp not just at his time at liverpool but we're going to be talking about him as a player and his rise to management through um, mainz and then obviously over to dortmund um before departing to liverpool and it's probably um, a good time, you know, we can speak to Raphael and ask him about the potentials of maybe a move either to the national side job in the future or, you know, maybe to even Bayern Munich, which, you know, I know you and I, Bryce, wouldn't like to see, but um, I'm sure we can chat about that. But yeah, it'll be a very good, um, it'll be a very, very good um, special for next week. So we're recording that next week and it'll be out next week. So that is one definitely to keep an eye on. Yeah, very exciting. I think uh, the first podcast we ever did, we were talking about how great it would be to get him on here one day. And it looks like it's finally going to happen. And yes, I'm very excited to get that book as well, might I say. Chris, I'm a little bit jealous that you've got the copy, might I say. But um, Manu, you'll be be excited to uh, put some questions to uh, Raphael as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's it's exceptional that we have have him coming on and it's i mean it's it's kind of fitting because it's i think it's our one year anniversary next year so there's uh, next week as well so that's kind of fitting that we have him on for that uh, we've been potting now for for a year and uh, it's been some fantastic some fantastic podcasts that we had in that time and i think you know i'm going to be over there in germany and um, hopefully we'll have some podcasts on the road again and it's it's been just a fantastic year and to cap it off with Honigstein coming on, I think is, is fitting. Yeah, most certainly it's been a fantastic year, hasn't it? And thank you all for tuning in as well and uh, showing your interest and support. We really do appreciate it. But um, guys, I think we'll more or less wrap it up there. Uh, 
let's go to you first, Chris. What have you got going on this week, or what would you like to draw people's attention to? Um, I am doing the um, England Brazil preview, and you may be thinking, "My God, why why are we covering that?" But obviously, um, football grad covers um, ex-Soviet nations, the uh, German Bundesliga, and German national sides, but it also covers South America on Football Saturday. So I am doing the preview for that, um, as well as you know a, a couple of other things planned, which I'm not going to tell you about yet. <laughs> oh. It's okay. Well, we'll we'll just hold on tight and look forward to those announcements. Uh, but uh, Manu, where have you got going on this week? Yeah, I'm flying home. Uh, I'm going to Germany on on Wednesday, and I'm I'm very excited. Uh, Bayern has already got back to me, so I'm covering Bayern Augsburg. Um, accreditation depending Stuttgart Dor- Stuttgart Dortmund on Friday, and then the following week Champions League, and um, all of that will be, of course, on Twitter at football. God live. We're going to have the hashtag football grad on tour. Chris is coming out to Germany in December too. So we're going to hang out, uh, maybe do a renewal of our Leipzig trip. That's all, you know, it's exciting two months now on the network because, you know, as we're getting towards the end of the Champions League group stage towards the winter break, we're going to have a lot of live football coverage, um, on the network. And I think that's very exciting. Yes, indeed. A lot going on across the Football Grad Network. So uh, yeah, keep yourselves tuned in. And yeah, if you're not already, follow it on Twitter at Football Grad Live. Uh, guys, uh, if you do have a second, um, head over to iTunes. We'd really appreciate you maybe giving us a review or some positive feedback. And as I said, we appreciate you tuning in each week. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. And yes, tune in next week. It's going to be a very exciting one and a bit of a club special. Until then, I'll be in. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic-flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.